welcome to Vismaski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levi. Vismaski Classics is the long distance ski championship with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams. Bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport and help you to become a better skier. Greetings to all Visma Ski Classics fans around the globe. This is our fifth episode of the Livigno to Levy podcast. I have two really special guests here to analyze Giselle Skaparesatka, the eighth stage of Visma Ski Classics Pro Tour. I have Simon Östersen, former athlete himself, and of course, another former athlete, and nowadays uh, team, team director, Lucas Power. And I am your host, Teemu Virtanen. Simon Östersen, Iseska Parasatka, 50-kilometer race, once again was a really an action-packed race. But let's go through that from, from the beginning to the end pretty quickly. How would you recap the race? Uh, <clears throat> if we start with the men's race, I think it was pretty much what we expected. Um, we saw that Petr Elias and he tried to put up a speed, high speed in the first uphill up to the first climb after 11 kilometers. Uh, but it, I don't think he got quite the result he wanted, so it was still a big group up there. Um, and then another group, chasing group, caught up with the with the leading group in the easier part after the after the climb point, and uh, so it was actually a pretty big group of um, around twenty five guys, um, the first thirty kilometers, and as we expected, it was uh, when we came to the to the second climb, it was uh, put up a pretty high speed uh, by first Andreas Nigor and then uh, Petri Eliasson and uh, Morten Eide Pedersen who has uh, made his move there several times before. Um, and we got, a, we got a group of uh, five guys who got away from the others there, uh, four of them from Team Ragda, with uh, Oscar Cardin, Turas de Ardal, uh, Andreas Nygård, Pedro Diasen, and then uh, Morten Ede Pedersen from, uh, from Team Café Brigeria. And uh, as expected, those were the, the strongest guys, so it was Ah, no chance, I would say, for the for the guys behind to to catch up with those five guys in the lead. So ah, we kind of knew the last fifteen kilometers that it would be a fight between between those and uh, for sure Morton fighting against uh, four guys from the same team. It's uh, kind of an unfair fight, uh, but he gave it a try. But uh, the last uh, two kilometers, uh, Cardin made a move. He got a gap of a couple of seconds. Um, Andreas he closed that one and. Uh, so in the end, it was uh, it was a fight between uh, Andreas and Oscar for the for the win, while uh, Petter, uh, Tord, and uh, Morten fight for the last podium uh, position. And uh, it was no big surprise that Andreas was the was the strongest of the two guys in the front, and uh, he got got his uh, second win in Yserska. He won last year as well. Uh, Cardin second, um, finally a podium finish for him this year. Uh, he's been. Uh, Kind of underperforming a little bit this season, but uh, I think he's really satisfied by making it to the podium this uh, this weekend. And it's just three weeks until Vasilopa, maybe the biggest goal for the season. And then a bit surprised, uh, Petter he took the took the last uh, podium finish there. And uh, on the paper, I would say that uh, both Morton and uh, Tord are better uh, better sprinters than he is. So that was a little surprise. But uh, after a long race, everything can happen in a sprint like this. So. Yeah, uh, so that was, uh, I would say it was quite as we expected before the race. And for the women, it was uh, it was uh, 
put up a quite high speed in the in the first uphill and uh lena koshgren and uh, britta norgren they got uh, got away quite fast i would say uh, and we also saw that uh, astri she had to, to quit the race because uh, she she's been ill for for some days and she did definitely didn't feel well uh so we had uh, those two in the lead with a group of uh, four or five uh, chasing women <coughs> and uh britta she got away from uh from Lina in the in the last climb, uh, open up a gap there. Uh, most interesting, I would say, was Emilie Fleten, uh, who was uh, she was chasing uh, for her first podium ever in Wismaski Classic, and she had a really good performance the last 15 kilometers. So she actually caught up with uh, Lina Koshgren, and uh, she left her behind. And in in one point, she was actually actually catching time and uh, Britta as well, but. Uh, it was. I, I guess it's no surprise that Britta came in first, but uh, I think today's big positive surprise was Emilia Fleten in second, her breakthrough in uh, in Wismarski Classic, and and Lina in third. And she has been uh, she has been good this season with a strong win in uh, Kaiser Maximilian Lauf, and she also won it last year. So that was really a thorough uh, recap of the Yiseska Parisatka, a race that actually had 8,000 participants. But now we will talk about the race itself and all kinds of things around it and life and skiing. You ready? I'm ready. Seaman, you are a former racer yourself. You've done this particular race. But now let's get into the Yiseska Parisatka, this year's edition, from the beginning all the way to the end. It started, as you said, pretty much what you expected, both in the men's and the women's race. Anything you detected from the get-go? Uh, I would say m maybe in the women's uh, women's race it was a bit surprising that they would get uh, that uh, Lena and uh, and uh, Britta would open up a gap so fast. Uh, I guess we both had to we were expecting uh, Cardi to uh, perform a little bit better than she did after those uh, strong performances uh, the two last weekends in uh, in Toblock and. Uh, and Marcia Longa, so she kind of underperformed a little bit uh, today, I would say. Uh, so I would, I was a little bit expected that those two got away so fast, but uh, in a main, men's race, it's, I would say it was kind of, kind of what we expected. Um, maybe, maybe it would be a, supposed to be a little small group at the, at the first climbing point. Uh, we saw that Petr tried to, to put up a high speed there, but couldn't lose as many as he wanted to, I think. And um, then it all kind of get together, got together in the in the more easier parts of the of the track in the, in the mid part there. So, and uh, as we talked about, it's always happened in the in the last climb there for so many years now. So that Morton would make his move there was, uh, I would say, kind of low odds odds for that it's a, really a tricky beginning it's a tricky start and both of you lucas you have joined us as, as well lucas power and uh, see you both done the race i've done it myself as well and it's you mentioned it's a great atmosphere it's a really compact area but it's it's a bit tricky when you get out there how did you guys feel about that the kind of the starting area we don't have the usual 400 meters something of a, a flat and then you start climbing or something you start climbing right away yeah, it's like 100 meters flat before you go into a kind of a steep uphill, and everybody wants to have a good position in there. So it's uh, can be a quite chaotic start, but uh, it's uh, I think that's fun to go straight to the action, and it's uh, I kind of like that. 
Did you like it, Lucas? You know, yeah, you did I like race? it. I like it. Here is also special that directly after the start row, you have to decide if you will go right side or left side around the small, small forest. And for sure, you never know which way is faster. And uh, then you have to be in front when the road are coming together again. And it's big mess in the beginning. So also the servicemen have to be prepared for the reserve pause. Yeah, but it's special for Izreska Parisatka. It is very special. Of, of course, we have other races where we have long hills. Pirkebeinerene, when you start on a long hill, Vasalopet, but at least there's a little bit of a flat before the long climb. Then when you are on that long, long climb, you know, the, it's kind of a narrow as well. How important is it for you guys when you raced to kind of find your position? And, and, and you attacked pretty quickly, Lucas, in it, when you did the race a few years back. You were in a breakaway right away. Yeah, sure. In this, in this uh, year, I was thinking still about where is the good time for make attack. Because I was sure it was uh, 2013 when I went together with Andrus, uh, Andrus Auckland, that uh, I was uh, doing still diagonals right, the same, uh, the same Anders, and uh, for me it was sure that I have to be first in the in the first premier, because after them it's long downhill, and I was sure that with the kickbox, I have disadvantage and I have to be in front, and I was very very surprised how good we were that we were able to go away. And then we were just just uh, continue the race. I think Simon was trying to catch us, and my feeling was that Andrus is not interested to cooperate because his teammate was behind us, and I was sure that okay, I will make everything uh, risk to okay, at least I will be second. But I was sure if Simon will came, then okay, I can beat here. If they will not cooperate, another will come, and yeah, it was it was tough, but really nice, really nice race. And what about you, Seaman? I mean, you mentioned earlier that you like hard courses. You like when you kind of start a race in a long uphill. But how tough is that particularly? It's a 10K climb. But as I said, we have other top courses as well with climbs at the beginning. Yeah, for sure. You have other races with uh, with tough climbs. And <clears throat> it's, it's uh, you start here with uh, one, two kilometers of climbing. And then you have some uh, two kilometers maybe of where it's a bit more easy skiing. And then, so it's the last, I would say, five kilometers from kilometer five and up to 10. That is the, the toughest. So as Lucas said, you need to be, you need, when you co come to that part, you need to be in a good position because, you know, there will be a high speed. And as we talked about in the broadcast over today, it's if you're in position 20 and the guys in front start to, to pick up the pace, it's, it's hard to pass by 15 or 19 skiers. To, to catch up with the guy in front, so I think everybody on the when they're on the start line here, they know they have to be up in the front to get a good position when the up and starts. So that's that makes it a little more intense, I think, in uh, uh, in terms of that because like in Vasilop, for example, even though the race starts with a pretty steep uphill, everybody knows that when you get on the top, there are two thirty thirty k's with flat skiing, and so the pace normally slows down again so it's it's not it's that not dangerous crucial to be number 30 or 40 but like in the race today it's uh you know the pace won't slow down again so you need to be up there like uh like lucas was talking about in 2013 i was maybe for me it was no surprise he was uh he was uh pushing a hard speed up there but uh maybe i was 15 seconds behind uh, him and Amish on the top there but they weren't slowing so the gap grew, and that's kind of what we see today, and we see in uh, 
in a race like Birkebeiner, for example, or Reistalöpe, where it's maybe the toughest uphill, that uh, the pace won't slow down after you pass the the top. So you need to be you need to be up there to to be able to to stay in the lead of the race. So that 2013 race, when you guys raced together, you finished fourth, actually, Seaman, in that race. You were second, correct, and under Sauron won, as you said. But that's not the only time you guys raced against each other. You've done Tour de Ski, for example, together. I mean, that's how you kind of started, and, and Seaman. And for those of you who are listening out there, Seaman uh, Östersen is now my co-host, so to speak, or co-commentator, expert commentator. He commentated the race today, and you will be there for Vasalopet as well. And, of course, Lucas Bauer now, you're running your own team. You have your own Ed System Bauer team. We'll talk about that, that uh, momentarily. But going back to kind of your history and, and um, you know, the, the years when you guys raced together, how much did you know of each other or talk to each other or, you know, socialized? If if, nah, if, well, if at all. No, no, there was no any communication because we are opponents. And <laughs> <laughs> Tough competitors. Huh? Yeah, especially 2007, 2008 on Tour de Ski. Yeah. I think that we both were in really good shape and I think we were fighting at least first stages about uh, leader, leader bib. And yeah, it was tough time. But every time I was I was scary about uh, about my sprint skills compared to Simon. <laughs> I was I'm, a I'm not sprinter than Yeah, but I'm not talking just about the poor sprint, but also about the, the finish sprint and something like this. So every time I try to to destroy him during the during the race, and sometimes this happened, sometimes not. I think you did that quite well. I remember uh, we did some uh, we did some races in Overmesto. And I remember, I think one of the races was um, 15k skate, I think. Um, and I think we skied together, had a pretty good gap to the guys behind. But uh, Lucas was much stronger than me, so I stayed with him for maybe 5k's or something. And I even tried to step on his pole so he would slow down a little <laughs> bit. But uh, it didn't work well, so I got uh, I got distanced by pretty much uh, on that race, I remember. And he ended up winning the Tour de Ski. And I don't remember what I came, maybe 15 or... Something like that. It was the year after I was number three. So, but you started your career at an early age and at a high, on a high note. You were third. The ski, uh, ski, uh, the ski tour de ski. Yeah, that was the first tour de ski uh, ever. So I was, I guess, I was a big surprise for everybody watching cross country and everybody racing cross country. I don't know if Lucas had never heard of me before. So that was my first. Uh, first ever world cup or i did uh, i did the world cup in holmenkoln the year before but uh 50 kilometer but i didn't finish so this was my first world cup uh internationally so this was a big uh it was a big surprise for me to become third there for sure but of course both of you then moved into a long distance skiing and you've been doing that and that was pretty much your forte after that and now you lucas you did that as well but now you're running your your team when did you kind of find it, Lucas? When did you kind of realize that this is something you want to do after after you sort of retired from active racing? I think it, it happens when I spent two very nice years together with Team Coop, with the Swedish team. And uh, in the beginning, for me, it was just okay. I will make short break for some weekend from World Cup, and I will try to enjoy long distance skiing. But for me, I was fully focused for World Cup. But it was something like okay, nice weekend. But later I recognized that I fell in love with this kind of racing and also uh, I'm the 
the person who would like to build something. And uh, I decide, okay, maybe I'm able to, or I hope I'm able to build some strong uh, uh, Middle European team who will be able to compete against strong Scandinavians. And and I start listening my ego, <laughs> and I start to work. But it must have been kind of tough, though. I mean, it's not that easy to put together a team, and and we know the kind of struggle that you've been through. You have a good team now, but when you started out, uh, I think that everybody con will confirm that it's not easy. I think it's not easy for Scandinavians. It's not easy for Middle European. It's it's really difficult. But I I like challenges, and for me it was big challenge. And I I said okay. My career will come over in some in next years, and I want to have something to continue in skiing. And only I, I saw only two options: to work with Czech Ski Federation, something like uh, like a national team or something, or build something my. And every time I like the the project when I'm responsible and I have rights to do something. So this was this was the reason. And also, the team. The, it's cross-country skiing, long-distance skiing is really big in your country. We can see it just by looking out, outside and the television and so forth. But uh, Rezak is, of course, one of the legends in the sport. And But how big is in, uh, his influence in your country? Uh, definitely. Stanislav Rezak is uh, almost living legend of long-distance skiing in Czech Republic. The same, the same uh, Katrina Smutna. And also my, my first idea to build uh, the, the team was connect these skiers together because uh, Rezac was in one team, Rocharek was another team. Uh, there was also Petrnova, quite good uh, men team, men, uh, men skier. And uh, everybody fight for their own, but not together in one team. And I said, oh, we are able to make it, but we have to be united. So this doesn't happen, but uh, my relationship with, with Stanislav is very good. Also, in the moment when he was trying to uh, apply for a national team, also for Vancouver, I think he's good skier, but I think uh, long-distance king fits him very well. It's visible also in the results. Are you guys friends? Oh, I have to say, we are friends. Do you do any things together besides skiing? Uh, no, because he's living here in Bedrichov and I'm living two or three hours <laughs> far away from here. But uh, every time I'm happy when I, when I can see him, when we can talk together. But in the tracks, we are, or we were opponents. And then, Seaman, your team. You had the team being, being bank was really strong last, last year. So well, I actually been team uh, together, together with uh, Stanislav Reshak. Exactly, you have. <laughs> yes, in Team Extra Personnel. But it was, uh, he's a nice guy, but it was, the communication was a bit difficult. Because he doesn't speak much English. And, uh, and your Czech is a little bit rusty? It's a little bit rusty. Didn't learn too much Czech in school, so. But of course, team bank, B, B, team B and bank was really strong last season, particularly the, the early part of the season. You guys fought against Erakte and Kuteng and, and, and so forth. But uh, when you look back, you know, so is there anything you guys could have done differently last year? In the team? In the team results? performance uh, it's hard to tell it's uh, I think it's always things you could uh, could have done different when you when you look back but uh, I think maybe we didn't perform very well in Valsaropa um, and uh, for sure that was one of the big goals for the team uh, we won both uh, March and online Bitcoin with the Petter uh, so I think maybe we were a bit we trained a bit too hard last year before uh 
before Vasadoppe. Uh, we were on a training camp in uh, Shushan, uh, close to Lillehammer. And I think maybe we could have slowed down a little bit on the training. So, But uh, that's it's easy to say when you look back. And uh, we wanted to, to try to <coughs> prepare ourselves as best as we could for, for Vasadoppe. And maybe we got a bit too over the cross the line a little bit there but i don't know uh, i think overall i think we had a a very good season uh Eustan peterson got his first victory in in many years also second place in uh in the season finale in ilslevi uh, petr eliasson did his uh, comeback uh, had several victories uh, with an outstanding performance in both uh, marcelonga and uh, birkebeinen and also me and morten were on the podium for uh, for several races and he took the the climbs jersey so i think overall it was it was a good season for us uh, even though we Vasalopa didn't turn out quite the way we hoped so overall it was it was good but then the uh, of course your team then got dissolved and all of you kind of went separate directions you were going to continue you had a plan still then and you even mm. have a, had a team but you're not racing anymore although you are but not actively no uh we <clears throat> We um, we tried to get some of the sponsors to to continue with us, uh, but it was only me and Morten because uh, Peter he had gotten an offer from Ragda who he said yes to, and Eistan he wanted to kind of step down a little bit, uh, do some other projects. Um, but then uh, then Morten and I got an offer from a French team, uh, Team Job Station. Uh, that was they wanted to to step up their uh, game a little bit and. Uh, that looked very interesting, uh, and I think it would have been really fun for us to ski with a mid-European team, uh, and it would also have been really nice for Ski Classic, I think. So Morten, he was down there uh, talking to them, meeting them, uh, and signing a contract. And I was, uh, I emailed with them, and we agreed to, before the summer uh, that I was going to be part of the team. But then it got, we got a counter message in uh, mid-August, I think. Uh, that their financials weren't uh, weren't as good as they hoped, so they had to lay down the whole team. And uh, when I got that message, I I didn't have the motivation anymore to to continue the work you need to do to to be able to fight for the podium positions and the victories. It's you need to be 100% motivated to to do all the job. And uh, at that point, I wasn't that, and I I wanted to kind of do something else and. Try to develop on a new arena, so and here you are, and here I am, talking to talking to your former skiers yeah. and commentating your races. But that is a good segue uh, to the financial side of things, because look, as you know, running a team that is probably the biggest problem: the sponsors finding their money. I mean, everybody wants to build a team, of course. How is it for you every every time when you after the season you have to go and talk to your sponsors? I think it's it's tough because when you are at lead, you know that after the season you have maybe one month off and you can relax. But when you when you are responsible for the team, you have no any day off. At least we have to still think about what can be improved and also still thinking about what you are missing. And uh, for me, every time it was difficult that uh, yeah, before the end of the season, I think in in March, it's I think latest time when when you can talk with the athletes about the next cooperation and you have to promise them something and then you have to you are on a way to or to fill the budget 
So sometimes for sure it's very stressy, but I have to say, I'm really happy to, to live this dream. It's tough for sure, also that you will learn that uh, you are in different position. When I start the team, I said, okay, I'm at lead and I will work with that lead and we are in the same boat. We will take uh, chances what we have. But in reality, you will recognize that no, you are not in the same position. You have to work with the people, but they are they are trust in you. And uh, yeah, also uh, later, the jokes will be not the same like before because you are the boss. <laughs> so you will also know that uh, this this uh, guys will talk with you differently. Doesn't matter that you still feel that you are the same, but because you are running the team. Yeah, you are running the team, and sometimes you will have some information like last one sure some bad information and uh, yeah but it's it's work with the people but in the end you have to be you have to be satisfied that or i'm satisfied that i i make this decision now we have a sixth season every season we are trying to to fight to survive to go to next season it's it's a lot of about the money but i'm i'm happy that uh, team partners are quite stable and uh, also I'm try trying to be very visible in the TV and everywhere. So this is my way, my responsibility. And I like it when I will compare it when I was at lead. It was perfect, but I had to be focused just for myself. Now I have to be focused for almost everything. Also during this race today, I, I, had, I had a lot of interviews. So I saw very little from the race. And I was so nervous how it will finish because also uh, my athletes was uh, in front or or uh, very active. So it's different, but I like this this one. Are you happy? Are you satisfied with this season? It's been a bit tough for you guys. Uh, I have to say that I'm not really satisfied with this season, not completely. Uh, I think that for 90%, yes, but uh, I think we are still missing something. Because last year, for, like, for, for uh, example, Alexis was fighting often for top 10. And now he's more between 10 and 20th place. And uh, we are struggling every time with something. And, but I know that everybody, uh, they are doing their best. But yeah, it's like sport. When you are pushing 100%, not often it's 100% also in the results. And sometimes we have to wait. I think last year we had an uh, incredible season. This season we are missing just a little bit something. Also in the ladies' category, it's visible that the, the the field is again much more stronger. It's not about two athletes, four athletes. I think there is six, seven athletes who can win, and it's tougher. But I think it's really good for sport. But you have some highlights too. I mean, Roxanne's doing really well and so forth. What are kind of those things that you're really happy about for skiers? Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy also for this race today. We bring a new athlete, Ilya Poroshkin, and uh, he was 15 for his race, for his first Vismaski Classics. It's it's perfect result. And this is something I think what we can build for next year, for example. Going back to the race, uh, the first climb. And Simon, you, you've got some climb climb points in your in your career as well. How important is that something? How important are these kind of subcategories for skiers, sprint, climbing, pro team and so forth? I think it's really important. Uh, and I think the, <coughs> they make the, the race much more interesting uh, to have such thing during the, during the race, uh, because then you have, you have athletes that may not be in a position to fight for the, for the podiums at the end, they can fight for for points during the race, uh, like uh, some of the sprinters, for example, uh, the fights for the for the green jersey, and uh, so so I think those are uh, 
those are important to to continue with uh, and it's also uh like luca luca said it's for him it's important to you know be visible and this is a really good opportunity for the teams to to stay visible and uh you know if you have the if you have the one of the jerseys in your team you're every after every race you're on the on the podium uh so it's uh so i think that's uh that's really good for the competition absolutely and i think the the athletes i think they like it because it's it's it brings an extra nerve into the race you're not just waiting for the finish line but you know it's okay i need to be focused for the climb after 15 kilometers or the green sprint after 20 kilometers or so it's uh, i think those are are great but this climb or the first climb uh, on today's race pretty much didn't present any uh, surprises or unexpected Prita and Morten both of them were pretty much got the, the maximum points there yeah for sure uh, Morten he has won the climb uh, climb for two years now and he's he got a lead by was it 150 points or something so he it looked like he looked like he's gonna take his third uh, consecutive uh, climb jersey so that was no surprise and you see, with the climb jersey, it's it's off very often those the strongest guys who are fighting for the points, naturally. Like in Tour de France as well, it's very often the best climbers that takes most of the points. And uh, I think it's uh, there are still some uh, some tough races to go, uh, like Birkebeinan and Reistalope, uh, where it's possible to to take a lot of points. <laughs> And like last year, for example, I think I don't think Morten got any points in in Reistalope. So if uh, races like Petter, for example, is second in the competition, uh, takes both of them, he'll catch up hundred points. So even though he looks, it looks like he has a comfortable lead. I think it's uh, it's still possibilities for uh, for the other races if they are on top of the game. The last races. Yeah, you never can be too comfortable. No. The race goes on. The competition continues. After that climb, that was 11 kilometers into the race, there's a long downhill section. You guys both done it uh, in the past. And we saw some action there, a little bit of a breakaways, but then quite often on those downhill sections, uh, the huge group, the peloton, as they call it in the in cycling world, is able to catch whoever is in a, in, in a lead. And uh, when you did the race, after that long line, climb what kind of happened there in, in your mind i mean it's, it's a long downhill section lucas if we go back you were with that at that time you know with, uh, on southland if you are asking about the feeling after a long hill section in the in the downhill for sure first was okay i survive i survived this tough 11 11 kilometers but uh, if i were for example compared with my best uh, best result here second place when in 2013 uh, okay, first was okay, I survived, then okay, what will be next? Now I did the risk, now I'm with Ander, Anders together, but we have to we have to continue around the I was still thinking about if I have to be more active or, or not. But then when I was uh, when I was uh, competing later, when I try for example make a double pulling, I was still thinking about how much kilometers left to go. <laughs> And it's yeah, it was it was tough because I think that uh, also especially for for Iskapadesatka is big high difference that the conditions here in uh, in the start is totally different than, than in the top part, and uh, often we recognize during the race that okay 
we had good skis, but not so good in the top. And you know that you have 20 kilometers in top conditions and it's, it's tough. That's something we noticed that we've been skiing yesterday and it's definitely the snow is very different from what it is down, down here. Say something about, uh, about the skis and selecting skis as seamen, because that is really important. You talked about it that and you have had some, had had some races where you haven't had really the best gear. No, it's uh, for sure. It's uh, <clears throat> that's one of the things with uh, with the long distance races. It's, it can be a big challenge to find the right skis and the right wax because it's like uh, Lucas said. It's uh, it can be quite high, big height difference between the start area and uh, and the highest parts of the of the track. And we see that in races like uh, like the race today in Birkebein race, uh, for example. It's maybe the height difference is even bigger. Uh, the same in Reistalope. So you can meet throughout the race you meet a lot of different conditions um so like in the race today you need to you need to choose whether you want your skis to be fast in the last 10 kilometers and maybe as luca said you can experience that they are not so good in the 20ks up in the higher parts of the track uh, or you can choose to have skis that works well up there uh, and not so well in the in the finish line so but if you choose the last one you need to have then you need to get a gap before the last 10 or 15 kilometers because uh, your skis are probably not as good as those who have chosen differently. Uh, so that uh, that can be a challenge. And we noticed, this, as you said uh, yesterday when we were out skiing, that uh, it was quite slow in the, in the higher part of the tracks. So I think most of the skiers, they choose to have skis that are fast in the end. So I guess it's kind of equal for all of them that they feel the skis are a bit more heavy in the in the drier parts of the track but it's the material is it's definitely a very important part of the of the long distance races and uh, as you said i have experience to have uh, skis that doesn't work that well and that's that's a really bad feeling when you feel good and uh, you feel that the other guys those skis are a little bit better than mine uh, but that's, it's part of the game. Um, and I think uh, Andreas, he talked about it today. He was really, really satisfied with his skis. They always are. They always it's are. It's Magna Dalen's Magna, magic touch. He's a magician in the, in the Vax cabin. So uh, Emilia Fletten also said she was, she was really satisfied with her skis. And, uh, but that's, uh, it's part of the game. And you need to, you need to spend time to find those, find those good skis. So... Lucas, you are actually working with a new brand now, your team, uh, Kessler. How is that when you have a new brand? I mean, of course, you have lot of, lots of options, but probably some frustrations too, because it's, it is a brand that's not probably as reliable in many cases, like Fisher, for example. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was a big challenge for us, uh, start cooperation with the new brand, and uh, but we did a lot of tests, and during the tests, it, everything looks really good. And uh, Alexis Jonerot, he signed a contract uh, with this with this brand, and maybe this is something uh, like Simon said that we are a little bit struggling now. That for some conditions he's still missing really really good skis. But I think also if you will be in some traditional brands like I don't know Fisher, Atomic, and others, you also will spend a lot of time when you will find the skis, for example, for a very low temperature. And uh, especially in the long distance skiing, it's it's uh, difficult to find good skis because you have to have good skis for 50k, not for 15k. 
and durability of uh, how they will hold the wax, for example, it's, it's different and it's very difficult to test it. So uh, this is all arguments what I'm thinking about when you ask me about if I'm satisfied with the season, that I'm, I have to say, okay, I'm satisfied. Also, I have to respect that we did some changes. Maybe it, it also has some influence now, but everything what we are doing, it's what will bring us the advantage for next years. Because you know that the cooperation, for example, with the traditional brands is not so easy because they have a lot of athletes. So uh, the average athletes or not top athletes have uh, not top conditions. And if you if you choose some uh, small brands, then you can you can uh, took advantage in much more closer cooperation, much more intensive service. What will pay off later? Not directly now. And double polling, of course, has changed the face of the business and the ski manufacturing as well. We have double polling skis nowadays. Uh, a word about that a little bit, and that keeps changing, of course, uh, as well. For you guys, you both seen you working with the Kestlen and working with that. I know that they are also looking for or coming up with a double polling skis. But Simon, from your point of view, good double polling ski. What is it really for for the people out there? Can you explain it? And how do you find? A good double pony pair of skis. Uh, well, to start with the second question, you find a good. It's the same way as you when you find you know normal skis for traditional skiing. Uh, it's about it's about testing different pairs in different conditions. Uh, it's a lot of work, as Lukas said, and you have to you have to spend a lot of time to to find those good pairs. Maybe you have to, as a top athlete, you can get access to a lot of pairs. Uh, but you need to to work through them, and you know if you have twenty pairs, you need to to test all of them to find out maybe it's just two or three pairs that are are good enough to keep. Uh, and that's the same work as in World Cup racing or more traditional skiing. Um, when it comes to the double pulling skis, that's something that came up, I think, like around two thousand fifteen. Uh, because when I was uh, when I won the Machalonga 2014, there were not uh, any double pulling skis, maybe some prototypes, but that was not much. Um, and some people use skating skis as well. Yeah. Once in a while. Uh, so it's basically the construction of the of the double pulling skis is a bit different from the from the classic skis. Uh, you have some, uh, you know, the pressure points on the on the ski is a bit softer to the to the snow than on on a regular classic ski. You want uh, you want the ski to kind of float on top of the snow uh, when you go double pulling so they are the construction is it's softer than a, than a ski made for kick wax because you're not you don't need a gap in the mid part of the ski to to keep the wax up from the snow so they are if you look at uh look at the double pulling ski it's they're lower than a than a regular classic ski and I think that's the biggest difference. But you also have, in a, in kind of more wet conditions, uh, I know many of the guys use regular classic skis made for clister. So it's uh, they're not only using the double pulling skis; they are they use both of them. So I know when uh, when Petri Liasen won uh, Manchalonga last year, he used a pair of um, normal classic skis made for for clister, clister from uh, from Fisher. How is it with your team, uh, Lucas? Double polling skis, old classic skis, or even maybe skating skis? 
I think in my team, we uh, every time more prefer the classic skis uh, in front of skate skis because we had not such good experience with the skate skis in the really long, uh, long races. And uh, like you said, now we are trying to to help or test the developing of uh, double pulling skis for, for Kestle. And I have to say that first prototypes that we had in, in Marchalonga work very well. But uh, like also Simon said, it's a lot of time it's needed for it. And then back to the race. Iserka, you, you mentioned that earlier, Simon, when we were commenting, that that's kind of the place. There's a long downhill that comes you know, to, to that area, takes the skiers to that area. And after that is usually when the action kind of picks up in the, today's race. Yeah, it's. Uh, we thought maybe it would uh, the guys would put up a bit higher speed than it did after they passed Yserka, but uh, we thought Tord was maybe trying to to pull up the speed a little bit. But still, it was uh, because the terrain after they have passed Yserka is can be quite tough. It's rolling with, you know, not the longest uphills, but the still uphills, and you can often see many kilometers in front of you. So it can be a little bit tough mentally. Especially if you're chasing someone and you can see that they're getting away from you. So I would say it was uh, the speed was slower there than what I was expecting, and you can see it was uh, it was a big group in the men's race. And at one point, you can you, we could even see that uh, the two leading women was uh, staying in the back of the men's group there. Uh, so I don't think anybody was willing to push so hard, and I think maybe that's because they saw that the group was big. And they even knew that uh, the, the last tough climb after 32 kilometers is where the, where the action is going to happen. So I think many tried to save as much as possible to that critical part. And we saw that once they entered the, the last uphill, they, they started to, to push. And uh, you could also see it was the guys were all over the, all over the place uh, all of a sudden. So... I think many of them were trying to save as much as energy, energy as possible for that uh, for that uphill. And uh, yeah, like every every race here, it's the strongest guys in the front when we come to the top of that climb. So this year it was uh, the four guys from Team Ragda and uh, Morten Ede Pedersen. And when the conditions are, are like today, when no, with no fresh snow in the tracks and it's no disadvantage to stay in the front, it's it's very tough for the for the guys behind to catch up with the guys in front because it's the guys in front that are the strongest and have the most power. So it's uh, as long as they cooperate and work together, it's almost impossible for for guys coming up behind to, to catch them. So I think that was from from the top of that climb and to the finish line was much as expected, I would say. This kind of takes us back to what we discussed uh, last week at Topla Cortina and Betletuli was our our podcast guest, and we talked about the high-capacity skiers. And both of you certainly were high-capacity skiers. And uh, what's your opinion about long-distance skiing, the change of it, the kind of the ideal long-distance skier, keeping that high-capacity in mind? Let's start with you, Lucas, first, because you've seen, seen it. You've been around for a long time. Okay, but I don't know if I'm good for, for this answer because uh, I have to say that I was and still I am mostly a traditional skier from World Cup and I think that my capacity was really high but I was fight I was struggling a lot with the double pulling technique 
So I think for me, the problem was to learn proper double pulling technique to survive more than, I don't know, 15 kilometers. I was trying to make my best, but uh, I decided after 20 years in World Cup, I can't switch and directly to pick it just into double pulling because my uh, classic technique was every time was focused for legs, not for arms. So I was hoping and wishing that I will be better every year, but yeah, I did some good results, but not so good. And I said, in the end of the career, it's no, have no sense. But in the beginning, I saw the long distance career like that uh, it's uh, athletes who are really strong with upper body, but not so good with uh, with uh, with uh, no endurance, but uh, VO2, yeah. VO2. But uh, later, I think when almost everybody was strong enough, I think that VO2 was much more important. And I think it's about the technique. You also saw that uh, uh, some years ago there was a lot of discussion about how long pause is, is needed, about the double pulling skis. And I think it was a big topic and still big topic about how to train proper double pulling and like this. So right now I think it's almost the same like in uh, in the World Cup. You have to have high VO2, you have to be, have strong upper body and you have to have really good uh, double pulling technique. I think that the scissors are much much more open between the between the World Cup and double and uh, long distance skiing than was before. So I think that for for World Cup skier now is much more harder to be good in uh, in long distance skiing than before because I think you have to spend a lot of days, not hours, a lot of days with double pulling training. So Simon, the qualities that a really good long distance skier requires or needs. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, you've seen over the last uh, last years that uh, <clears throat> many of the, the guys in the top in the in the ski classics races have developed a much higher capacity than they had, they had before. So as we talked about on the broadcast today, uh, guys like Petter, uh, Andreas Tord, uh, Morten Eide-Pedersen, I think all those, they push over 80 in the VO2 max in double pulling. Uh, and that's really high. That's uh, as much as the, many of the traditional World Cup skiers have in diagonal striding, for example. Uh, and I think that that level is much higher now than it was maybe seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. So I think there, the capacity, the double pulling capacity, has uh, has grown over the over the last years. So it's uh, like Lucas said, it's. Uh, I think it's tough for uh we saw that in uh in Marcha Longa that it's 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 tough for the best World Cup skiers to just come in here and and fight for the podium. And then of course you have your teams and you work together with your teams and the athletes. We know that Andreas Nigord and Peter Eliasen are going to, to meet and work together and train together in Alta uh, for Vasalopet and uh, that's very important when you have competitive and, and comparable uh, companions that you can can use uh, training-wise. Lucas, your team, for example, you have an international team. You have <laughs> skiers from different countries. First of all, that must have been kind of difficult to, to pick them from different countries. Was that, kind of, was that kind of your goal from the beginning? That, hey, I want to have really a multicultural team. Yes, like I said in the beginning, <clears throat> my, my idea was to build strong middle European team because I was sure that I'm not able to bring uh, the strong athletes just from one nation. And every time I'm often influenced by my ego, that if I'm not able to fight for top positions, I'm not interested. And I said, okay, if I will go to long distance skiing, 
with the name from World Cup, I had to, have to be about the top top positions. So I decided, okay, I will look to, to for some uh, nation, nationalities, how to make a, a international team. It happened for sure. Sometimes it was random because you have no chance to know informations about all athletes and also who is interested about the long distance skiing. Because, for example, for ex uh, World Cup skier, often it's uh, more often that they will retire, then they will try to learn something new. And for me, it was really interesting to learn a lot because it's not only about the differences in VO2, it's about the feeding. When I came first time to Vasselopet, I was really shocked how strict the feeding is, how big differences there are. If I compare it that when I came from World Cup with my nose a little bit high, okay, I'm World Cup skier and I'm World Cup winner. And uh -huh. <laughs> I was shocked how professional the long distance, long distance skiers are. And it was a few years ago. Now I think it's even more with this and uh, uh, with uh, international athletes, for sure. Also, you have to think about how they will train together, because I think it's about the team. It's not about the individuals. And uh, so I decided, OK, we have to make all year round, round, not only for winter. And uh, the system was and still is that uh, every month we are together at least for one week together. We train together and they have to follow one plan training plan and the rest they train home and they follow their plan and i have to say that it worked very really well and not only about the the, the shape it's also about to make the group contact compact like friends for me it was really important to have good atmosphere there because with good atmosphere you can reach the best results and we are living we are we are surviving five seasons now it's six seasons and i'm really happy about it are you the one who makes the program, you know, for, for that week when you're together? Or... Yeah, just me. For sure, like I said, I'm I'm learning a lot from yeah what is difference compared to traditional skiing with the, with the long distance. Often we are talking about what, what can be uh, done even better, but I think that there have to be just one plan. If you will collect uh, or if you will bring the athletes together for one place and everybody will follow their own training plan, it have no sense. So I'm the boss there. <laughs> what about in your team, Team B and Bank? Did you have the kind of the similar formula? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's pretty much the same. I think uh, we tried to get together for for one or even two weeks uh, every month, at least from from the summer and uh, through the fall. Uh, but we we had no no coach like or no manager in the way way Lucas is so we we made our own, own plans discussed together and kind of yeah that task rolled from from one month to another maybe in all Petter made one program for for a camp in Alta and then Morten made a program for uh, for a camp in Lillehammer so but we always discussed what we want to do and what we want to focus on and how is it when you guys when you kind of feed off of uh, your teammates and you have those trainings and you have your your team team there working together kind of that uh, atmosphere environment and those those camps training camps particularly like in your case lucas honestly i'm not sure if i understand correctly okay so, um, the yes the, the question is uh, when you see your athletes working together doing that according to your program the one that you created designed for them to do and you see them succeed or not not succeeding you being there kind of controlling it the atmosphere i think that it's it's easy 
when when you have uh, good results <laughs> the atmosphere is every time great but uh, i think important is what you will see when the results are not good After, i think in this what do you do then when no I, i want to say that in this moment you will finally uh, recognize if they trust in your way or if they are really good team or or just a mix of individuals and uh, this is like i said what is the most important for me i'm i'm uh, able to accept that we will have results uh, not so strong but they have to be uh, good teammates this is for me the most important and uh, for sure sometimes like bossa you have to come and and not scream but say something really strict what the way have to be done what we, what do you think it's is the best for sure every time i'm trying to say something like input to start thinking about and uh, because uh, i think this is what is doing the team strong not only that you will have one strong athlete who will be focused just for himself and not not interested about others but if everybody will feel the support from other side so Simon, when you are listening to this of course lucas he was he's a pretty much the leader of obris gang but you guys have a different uh, sort of a uh, di- diplomacy in, in your team different kind but did you ever have any confrontations did you ever fight <laughs> uh, we didn't fight physically but uh, we had our discussions definitely really yeah. arguing yeah uh, all so right it, tell me about that no nah, i think it's uh it can be s- s- stays inside our not these four walls but uh, inside the team but uh, for sure we are everybody have a uh, have their opinion and uh it's not always uh, that that opinion is uh, is the same so we had our discussions but uh we talked about it and uh we always got out as friends so i think that's important but do you think that you need a leader like lucas that's ultimately responsible who takes the blame or sometimes gets the you know the you know the uh compliments as well uh i don't think you need it it depends a little bit on the on the athletes the experience in from the athletes and so on but uh i think it sometimes it can be nice to have one leader that just says okay this is the way we do it if you have four guys with four different meanings it's can be hard to agree sometimes and then it can be nice to have a leader that just said okay this is the way we do it and then we have uh, athletes or teams that are actually run by current athletes active ones like uh, team kuteng ture pedal much longer winner vetletuli is running the teams uh, what do you think how is that kind of dynamics in a team like that when you have a team leader who's also actively racing is that good for a team i think it work well works well because i don't think ture for example is the guy that screams loudest in the meetings or i think it's uh, i think that works pretty well and then in the race the second climb pretty much you know went through as expected uh, we had the, the the breakaway actually two breakaways because we had the breakaway in the men's men's race you talked about those five skiers four rack the guys and then Monique Perez in there and in the women's race as well that's when Pritta pushed really hard yeah she got a gap there and uh i wouldn't say that was a surprise either but uh she was strong today she was strong last week as well uh and so she opened up a gap there um and we thought maybe it was uh that the race was not over but that she was going to come first and that uh, Lena was in a pretty safe second position but uh, then Emilia Fleten did a really good job from uh, from the last climb point and uh, 
and to the finish line. So she got up with uh, with Lena and got uh, got second place in her first podium. So uh, that was a really impressive uh, performance by her. So it's it's fun. It's fun to see those new girls uh, making their way up to the podium. So Katarina Smutna in, in your team, and of course this is her home home turf as well. Did you expect a little bit more from her today? But she has been on a podium here and won the race many times. You have a good race from her again. But of course you expected her to be on a podium. Or hoped at least. I think the same is like like at least if you go starting somewhere, I think you have to hope for, for victories. I think if you or your best. And the same I think it's from from I know team director or something. I was sure that if she will have a really good day, she's uh, able to to fight for I don't know, top top two positions, and also when you know that she can use the advantage of home field, she know every meter of the of the track. So I hope. But when I saw how the race developed, I have to say that I I'm satisfied. For sure, I'm a little bit sad because it's only one race in Czech Republic from World Vismaski Classic Series. And you want to shine, also uh, shine. <laughs> and uh, also a lot of team partners are here. And what is the best to show them, okay, we are winning both categories. <laughs> but uh, everybody is fighting for, for victory today. The, our best results is fifth, what uh, Katarina Smutna took. And I have to say, okay, just congratulate to first four because they were simply better now or more lucky. And next time we will fight again. So a few years back, she uh, was in an uh, incredible role. She had five consecutive wins uh, back then, and she seemed to be in, uh, uh, unstoppable, pretty much unbeatable. Uh, but after that, it's been a little bit. I mean, she's still one of the best, of course, but not as strong. So what kind of happened there? Well, what's your take on, on sort of her years after that? Yeah, I think if, if we will not... If you will try to be still gentlemen, and you're not talking about the age, that it's for sure some years and every year I think it's it's uh, visible or you can feel it. That, uh, yeah, if you will compare the, the field, I don't know, five years ago, at least in in uh, ladies' category, and now it's totally different. I think now is there seven girls or eight girls who are all can fight for top three positions. And uh, also, uh, I think the... Sometimes maybe the motivation when you have a lot of success some years ago and you are still in the same same uh, business that sometimes is not not easy. Keep motivation really high. I don't think that this is this is the 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 situation for Katerina. I think it's just about that strong is uh, the the field is stronger and I think if she will have a good day, top three it's every time possible. If not, I think we have to say also fifth position is good. Indeed it is. Seaman, from last year, how much has the men's field changed? How much stronger is it now, just in, in, within one year? Uh, <clears throat> I think it, it's hard to tell for sure, but uh, we've seen some new guys uh, come up this year. Uh, for sure, Lager 157 have done uh, improved their performances pretty much this year with uh, two wins from uh, Emil Passion. Uh, and also Marcus Johansson has been on the podium for uh, for some races so uh, we see that it's uh, there are more teams uh, fighting for the for the top places this year than it has, than it has been uh, the last year so uh, i think that is positive uh, and also some young guys coming up there and uh, are fighting for the top 10 positions and uh, so it's uh, it's nice to see that there are 
young athletes who wants to to focus on the on the ski classic races. Really, the youth has been the kind of the name of the game in Bisma Ski Classics uh, quite recently. We have so many good young skiers. So, Lucas, are you when you're looking for new talent? So, how much have you you know kind of eyeing on or setting your sights on young skiers, young talent, scouting out there? I think it's it's needed because uh, time is running quickly and uh, sometimes you have to change uh, the, the athletes. Uh, doesn't matter if they will retire or they are not strong enough or not motivated anymore. And uh, I think you like uh, from both position, you have to think about the long term. And uh, I think it's difficult. Like I said from beginning, it's it was uh, even difficult before to bring strong athletes just from one country be able to compete against Scandinavians with the younger athletes. I think it's even even harder. So after this, I'm really happy that we bring a new skier just for this race. And he was 15, which is promising. But uh, especially in the ladies category, in category U26, it's, it's I think, difficult in Scandinavia. Because I think who is uh, really strong, it's already in some national team or in some teams behind national team. And uh, especially for ladies, I think you have to find a special type who is really, really interested to fight for 50 kilometers or 90 kilometers. I think uh, the really young athletes are motivated around 15 kilometers, not more, and you have to wait a little bit. Now so we have Ida, Idan, Emilia, and, and, and Yenny, and those, those girls, I mean, they're pretty young and still, still, I mean, they are prepared for the distance. Yeah, for sure. For sure they are. That's uh, that's definitely something that, that that we need. The last part of the uh, the race, two climbs are now behind. Uh, happened pretty much what uh, expected, but the last 15 kilometers, a pretty fast pace, correct? Downhill mostly, couple tiny, tiny climbs here and there. Yeah, it's mostly downhill, and uh, I think it's uh, the speed is high all the way, and especially with the. With the conditions like today, where it's no uh, disadvantage to to be the first skier in the in the track, so I think when you saw who the five skiers that were in the leading group uh, at the last climbing point, I think it was no surprise that they uh, that they kept the gap all the way to the finish line. And uh, we also saw it was in the end it grew quite big. So they were the five strongest guys today. And uh, with the terrain that are the last 15 kilometers, it's as long as they work together, it's really tough for the guys behind to, to catch up with them. Um, in the women's race, it was they were more on their own, everybody. But uh, we know that Britta, she is so strong. She's done this so many times, skied for her own. Uh, so I think it would have been a really big surprise if she would have cracked in the last 10 kilometers, for example. Uh, we saw that uh, Emilia, she was... Uh, she was strong. She had good skis. She caught up with uh, with Lina, uh, and also in one in one point she was uh, taking some seconds on uh, on Britta as well. But I think Britta was, yeah. Even though she said something else in the in the interview there, she was. Uh, she, I think she had pretty good control in the end. Tactically, it was kind of interesting to see what the Rakte Rakte guys uh, were going to do because we had four Team Rakte Ayendom athletes, and then. Modnade Pedersen against <laughs> solo solo skier against them. Do you think that they tactic? This is something we have been talking about quite a lot. And do you think that they tactic was okay, good? 
Yeah, I think so. Uh, they had four strong guys, and for sure they have four guys that always want to win the race. So I think they did well. Uh, we saw when uh, when Oscar attacked with a couple of kilometers to go, uh, Andreas waited for a little time, and he, he let him get a couple of seconds before he he launched an attack. And I think he knew that Morton wasn't able to stay on his uh, skis. So as long as they do it that way, I think it's I think the tactic was uh, was good today. And uh, they also got uh, all the places on the podium, so they must be satisfied. Worked in, in their favor. Yeah. Lucas, how much do you guys talk about the tactic, tactics and strategies before before the race within your team? I think if we are talking about the individual tactics, it's uh, yeah, responsibility for athletes because they have to feel uh, how strong they are right now. And uh, for sure, like we like service, we can make some tips to say them what we think, what is better to be focused, but uh, final decision they have to make. And unfortunately, uh, in existence of, of my team, we never had so so much uh, strong athletes who can cooperate together because one situation is okay. You can make tactics, but if you are not able to be together in, in similar place after 30K, tactics is for nothing. You have to just react for the situation. So indeed, it was a really an interesting and exciting race. And the men's race, Andreas Nigor won the race, and then followed by Oscar Kadin and then Peter Elias and all of those athletes from Team Rack, the uh, On the women's side of things, Britta Johansson-Nugren was the fastest, uh, followed by uh, kind of a bit of a surprise, Emilia Fletten from uh, Team uh, Rack, the And then, of course, Lina Koskren, last year's winner, was third. And Lina's from Team Ramudden, and Britta is from Lager 157 ski team. But now, We'll take a look at the standings. Uh, champion, men first. Andreas Nigor is in the lead from Team Rekte Eijendom. 1,047 points. And he is followed by Tur Asle Jedalen, his teammate. 960 points. So really tight fight there. And Modnede Pedersen, third Team Café Bruggeriet. 903 points. And Stian Hölgard, fourth. Not that far behind. 885 and Marcus Johansson, fifth Lager 157 ski team, 869 points. And Peter Eliasen, who was third today, is sixth, also from Team Rekte Eijendom, 822 points. And the women's champion competition looks like this. Britta Johansson-Nugren from Lager 157 ski team is in the lead, 1,275 points. Karivik Hagen Yeitnes, Team Kuteng, is second, and she has 1,175 points. So only 100 points there, so there's still really a tight fight. Katarina Smutna, third from its System Bauer team, from Lucas's team, and 1,010 points. So she's not even that far behind. Astrid Lind, fourth, Team Kuteng, who wasn't able to finish today. 999 points, while Lina Koskren is 15, Ramudden 925 points, and Emilia Fletten, who really shone today, Team Rakte Eijendom, 905 points. In the youth category, uh, the men's side of things, Emil Parson is leading Lager 157 ski team, 703 points. Max Novak is second, Team Ramudden, 696 points. And Alexander Grebenko from Russian winter team, he is third and 409 points. In the sprint competition, we didn't have any sprint points uh, in today's race, but Max Novak is still in the lead. Team Ramudden, 222 points. Uh, Actually, it is tied with Stian Barry from Team Kaffer 
Brugeriet, the same points, 224, and then Oscar Kadin, third team Rakte Ayendom, 180 points. The women's sprint competition, Britta Johansson Ugren is in the lead, of course, and she is followed by Lina Kuskren, team Ramutten, but the fight is really tight there, only nine, nine points, and Astrid Oires Lin, team Kuteng, 115 points. Climb competition, Modnede Pedersen, Team Café Bruggeri at 322 points. We saw how he pretty much conquered the, those points uh, in today's race, got the maximum points. But Peter Eliasen fought tooth and nail and got more points. He is second from Team Rakdayen, Dom 173, <coughs> while Andreas Holmberry Lager won 157 or 157 ski team is third. 160 points. Climb women, Britta Johansson, Grand Lager 157 ski team, 185 points. Astrid Oires Lind, Team Kuteng, 138. And then Lina Kuskren, Team Ramutten, 92 points. Those are the three best ladies in this particular category. And the next race is Vasaloppet, the legendary 90-kilometer race in Mura, Aselen Mura, Sweden. You guys, both done it. You know, I've been there. Tell me about the race, Simon. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's one of the classics, definitely. Uh, long traditions. And for, for the athletes, it's uh, maybe one of the or maybe the most prestigious race to, to win. Uh, for me personally, it was... Not my favorite race. Uh, I never managed to perform well there. My arms were always like spaghetti the last uh, 15 or 10 kilometers. So, uh, but it's it's a special race. It's uh, the longest uh, race uh, of the season, 90 kilometers. Um, quite easy terrain, but it's uh, it's not uh, the Via 2 Max. That's uh, that's the the the, the highest. Uh, obstacle here it's uh, it's more how the endurance in the in the upper body so it's uh it's a special race for sure uh, and the, the atmosphere there is uh is really special with 15,000 skiers uh, on the same uh, same start line all starting at the same time so the atmosphere there is is really great and uh hopefully we'll get uh get a good race there with uh, no snow uh it's been uh the last year it's been i think it's been snowing almost every year uh so it would have been nice to get a race with uh, with fair conditions, so that those who wants to put up a high speed can can do that without uh, too big a disadvantage to to stay in the front of the track. So we're looking forward to it. And Lucas, what about you? Fast up for you. I have to say that I never understand when the long distance skiers said that it's something like Olympics for them. Till the moment when I start first time on the start. It was uh, one week after my 50k in Sochi in, in, in Olympics and I was standing there in first row and when I turned back and I saw 16,000 people, ah, it was incredible. And especially one minute till, till start, ah, I was so scared about what will happen next. <laughs> but then yeah, there was a shoot and we, we start. The same like Simon said, the mask is like spaghetti but not, not 15k but maybe 40k. And the feeling when I was in the finish, ah, it was priceless. I think I did twice or three times uh, Vassalopet. I think I had not super results there. Maybe around 30 plays was my best. But the, the atmosphere and the feeling, oh, I did it. Yeah, It was perfect. So Imagine. I understand long, long distance skills now with this 
Imagine doing it twice like I did last year, back and forth. But yes, indeed, it is really a great race. It has history and everything and, and lots of people, not just the races, but all kinds of things happening throughout the week. And that race will be three weeks from now, the 1st of March. Sunday is always the first Sunday uh, of March at the start time. It's the same for all, all of the skiers, men and women alike, 8 o'clock in the morning, the local time, Central European time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Seaman, for, for being here, for being my co-commentator on the TV broadcast as well. Thank you, Lucas Bauer, being here. Good luck with your team. And you people out there, thank you very much for joining us. And keep listening. There's more to come. See you next time. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.